everybody. Welcome to the New Deal, New Minute. Thanks for stopping in. It's been a while since I've been able to do an episode, so I appreciate you coming back. If you are listening only, I will do my absolute best to describe anything that I'm showing um, the viewers here on the video so that you get the semi-full experience. Uh, you can find The New Deal on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can go to thenewdeal.com and check out the blog there. So, today. Today we're going to talk about money. Not how do I earn money or how do I save it or how do I get a lot of it or how do I make it rain? We're not going to talk about money in that way. We're going to be talking about money as a concept and we're going to explore to an extent the systems in which we use money in and how we should think about those systems as we move forward. So let's get to money. Money is central to everything that we do, uh, especially here in America uh, where we live in a capitalist society. We're born then we're trained so that we can make money. Then we are employed so we can make money, so we can save up money over 30 or 40 years to make somebody else money so that when we get old, we can spend the last five years of our lives with the money that we've been able to save before we die. And and that's that's what money does for us. It's, it's great. It's good. It, it buys really nice stuff. Anyway, so what is money? Um, this episode is really based off an article that I read on Visual Capitalist a while ago because I was wondering how much money is there in the world, in the country, um, because there is a finite amount. Money is not something that's just, you know, doesn't create itself, um, or, or it does, but there is a finite amount roughly. So what is money? Well, this, th this is money. This is a $1 bill. It's green. It's a piece of paper. Um, it's not backed by anything. It used to be backed by gold, like late 1800s to 1933, but it's not backed by anything. Um, it's, uh, this is a US dollar. And people in America um, and, and around the world, they really believe in this dollar. Um, they attribute value to it. They say, uh, this represents work or effort or time or, or whatever. People like it. People, people, this is worth something to people. It used to be you know, an equivalent to gold. No longer. We believe in this. Recently, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies have kind of exploded. And this is a Bitcoin right here. This is a Bitcoin. It's right here. And, and, it's, and it's worth quite a bit. Right now, I think it's worth over just over $50,000. Um, people believe in it. And it's worth something. And you can spend it. And you can earn it. And you can make it. Um, Bitcoin. And if people wanted to believe in this post-it note about deficit spending that I wrote earlier, um, you can believe that this is money. And if I give this to you, you can be like, wow, I've got this note on deficit spending. Someone else might value that. Let me go uh, buy their cat with this post-it note. Um, money is imaginary. For all intents and purposes, money is imaginary and is a construct created by us. We created money. And because we created money, we created the system in which money is used. So we've got capitalism. There are different types of economies and ways to spend and earn money. But we are essentially, you know, the creators of all these systems, which means that we have a level of control over all these systems and that on some level, we all universally agree that this is the best system or else why would we be using it? Um, or, or maybe it's the most convenient. So we'll get into that. So um, what I want to do is I want to kind of share my screen and I want to go through this Visual Capitalist article because I thought it was fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So let me just switch over my screen and we'll check out this Visual Capitalist article. The link will be in the description whether you're on YouTube or just listening. Okay, I'm here. 
this is the article. You can't see me, but I'm right here. So anyway, this is the visual capitalist article I was talking about. All of the world's money and markets in one visualization. I'm a visual person, right? So let's use this. Um, the, got to get above my logo there. Didn't think about that. Okay, so we have silver. Silver's worth $43.9 billion, roughly. We've got cryptocurrencies worth, actually probably today, a little bit more than $244 billion. Bitcoin is two thirds of that. Here's military spending in the world, not just the US. Although in this chart here, you can see the US makes up a large chunk of the world's military spending. Um, we'll, we'll go by, you know, we'll bypass US budget deficit here. Um, coins and banknotes, uh, tangible currency, uh, what many people around the world think of as money is worth about $6.6 trillion. Um, we'll skip the balance sheet. Billionaires. Uh, billionaires, uh, there's 2095 at the writing of this article, and they're worth about $8 trillion. Keep that number in mind, $8 trillion. Uh, the world's gold is worth about $10.9 And here are our Fortune 500 companies. Um, I did the math on this. And the Fortune 500 companies, uh, all these blocks, each block represents $1 billion. The Fortune 500 companies are worth about $36 trillion or, or, or somewhere in there. Um, and, oh, sorry, $16, $16 trillion. So th this represents 16. Remember the billionaires I talked about earlier, they're worth $8 trillion in wealth. So those 2,000 people around the world make up half of Fortune 500 companies. So keep that in mind for perspective. Here we have these stock exchanges. Um, these are all the world stock exchanges, totaling about 89.5 trillion, with uh, New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ being a very large portion of that. Here we have narrow money. Narrow money is like tangible money. Um, it's easily accessible money. So it's, it's coins and banknotes, but it's also what's in your checking account and your savings account and things like that. Um, broad money would include the savings account. So we get $95.7 trillion in narrow money. Global debt, lots of debt, don't need to go over debt. We all know we're in debt. Here's real estate. Real estate's worth $280.6 trillion. Um, and then we have global wealth. According to Credit Swiss, I believe, all global wealth tallies $366.6 trillion. So that's everything that we just talked about rolled into one. Then we have this concept called derivatives, which... I'm not good at math, but here are derivatives. The gross market value of derivatives are $11.6 trillion. Then you've got the notional value, and way down here, you've got the high-end estimate of that notional value. Um, these have something to do with trading. It's a, it's, it's a contract between two or more parties that derives its value from the performance of an underlying asset, index, or entity. Because of this, the value can be variable. It's a variable amount. On the low end, this investment, these contracts were worth $558.5 trillion on its own. This is not in addition to what we talked about above, on its own. At the high end, we could be talking $1 quadrillion, $1 quadrillion in derivatives alone in the world, which would put us, if we scroll back up, we are looking at $1 quadrillion plus $360.6 trillion gives us basically our idea of global wealth. Let's go over some of these numbers. Okay, so we talked about our billionaires. The 2,000 billionaires worth about $16 trillion. Um, 
the world's 2000 billionaires are equal to about half the total value of all fortune 500 companies, all, all, all 500 of them. Global tangible money, once again, 35, 36 trillion right in there. If we look at these numbers, 36 trillion is about half the world's tangible wealth. Um, if we look at that number, that means that 0.000026% of the population is responsible for about half of that wealth. Half. Half. So a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of people own half the money in the world. Tangible money, anyway. Um, now, because of possible math, as we just talked about, there could be well over a quadrillion dollars. Well over a quadrillion. Uh, but for all intents and purpose, purposes, a very small amount of people own a very large amount of the global wealth, not just the United States, global wealth. Money in the systems we use in are created by humans. And that means that we're essentially in control of all of those areas. We're, we created everything that you just saw on that screen, and then we attributed value to it. Um, right now, we've collectively agreed that rich people deserve to be rich and poor people deserve to be poor because the rules of our monetary system uh, kind of make for or enable those types of situations. Um, we've agreed on some level that we're not terribly interested as a society in helping people toward the bottom, because if we were, our monetary systems would reflect that in, in, their, in, in, in the rules of the system, so to speak. Uh, we operate in a capitalist society in America with a free market where if you end up poor, uh, at least by 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 the system, it, it's your fault. You're not doing enough, uh, you know, in, in a capitalist system. Um, just a quick fact: uh, according to Pew Research, um, just over fifty percent of all Americans uh, work and earn near the minimum wage. Um, so we're talking about between thirty and forty thousand dollars a year, and forty thousand dollars a year is the average salary for an American. So. Our system, especially in America, capitalism plus, you know, well, you know, this thing, the U.S. dollar, we've basically decided that $40,000 a year should be more than enough for someone to live on comfortably, right? Because that's the average and that's the system and that's the situation the system has created. And that's what we subscribe to. I, I think most of us would say, well, you know, we should probably be aiming for more than $40,000. And that's also because it's necessary. It, it's it's not easy to live comfortably on $40,000 almost anywhere in this country. Something to think about. So our systems of currency, they don't give us an excuse to perpetuate po poverty or inequity. Um, it doesn't lock us in to having to put up with massive wage disparity because we create these systems. These systems are flexible. These systems can be amended. These systems can be created anew. In 2008, cryptocurrency was created out of thin air. It, it's coding, it, it's a technology, it's, it, it's, it's got practicality, but it was created. And now it's worth billions and billions of dollars. It was created and maybe one day cryptocurrencies or something like it will completely remove the physical, physical currency. It can be created, it's arbitrary. It's a belief system, it's like religion. Uh, you know, it's only worth what we believe. We've the means, you know, and when I say we have full control, you know, we have the means to build a ton of houses. Uh, we could probably build enough houses for everybody in America. Uh, we have the materials to do it. We have the manpower to do it. There's 360 million of us in this country. 
Um, we have the knowledge to do it, certainly, um, but we don't build houses for everybody. Um, we're the wealthiest nation on earth, but we can't get all kids in our country quality books. We could give them quality books. We can make them. We can probably even afford them with the money that we have right now, but we don't give all kids quality books um, for whatever reason. We choose not to. Um, we can probably give everybody affordable or free health care with the money we have. Um, America owns 30% of the world's wealth. 30%. America is one third of the total wealth. Uh, so we could probably do all of these things um, quite easily. Um, so anyway, these are societal decisions. We're all responsible for the outcome of these decisions. Democracy is an infant as, as a social co construct. Capitalism is likely a phase. Um, nothing as we know it now is permanent. So I think it's really important that we start treating these concepts as guides rather than gospel. And I think if we do that, we could make the world a better place. You know, we like to, because the system is so all-consuming, all it's used as an excuse or as a limitation for us not to be able to do things. Let's take COVID spending. You know, right now there's a debate as to how much money should be spent in the COVID relief bill. And the number two trillion has been thrown out. As you saw demonstrated in this virtual capitalist article, two trillion dollars is a drop in the bucket for, for global global wealth. It's a drop in the bucket. It, you know, the the world's billionaires are worth four times that, and that's just two thousand people. So we can afford it. But there's this kind of, oh, two trillion dollars is too much money. We shouldn't be allowing the government to spend two trillion dollars on us the American people who need that money, it's arbitrary and it doesn't match up. We're okay with, you know, a few people owning over half the world's wealth, but when it comes to $2 trillion for 300 million people, it's problematic. The system becomes, and this has to do with politics too, but the system becomes a limitation. This imaginary system created by people becomes a mechanism to disenfranchise other people. It's okay for some people to have a lot of money, but 360 million people, no, they can't have the money. It's okay if you earn a bunch of money, even if you, you know, don't really, it's just kind of accumulated, you're lucky, but it's equally okay for someone to be starving on the streets in the world's richest nation. The, the, the concept becomes an excuse, and Americans especially use it as an excuse. And for some reason, a lot of Americans take the side of the wealthy people over, over you know, us, and them, more than likely, uh, because the wealthy people are such a small percentage. I, I would be surprised if anyone in that percentage is watching this video. If you are, hi, uh, help change the world, please. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, these systems can be changed. These systems are not religion. Um, they're, well, they're belief systems, but they're not set in stone. We decide these systems and how they work and how they function, and how they affect people. We have made choices. And part of the choice we've made with money is that we are perfectly okay with some people having it and being okay with it being the deciding factor in people's well-being. And if they can't get money, they don't deserve to live well. Money is that important in America. If you don't have it, you, you are not valued. Human life in a lot of ways, I guess, is congruent with how much money you make. And if you don't make a lot of money, then the value of your life, apparently, isn't worth much. I disagree with that. Uh, m money is a means for trade. It, you know, that, that's it, really. 
we, we ascribe too much to it, I think. So you get the concept. My main point is that these systems that we attribute so much value to, we put so much energy into, that we let dictate our lives. Like I said, we, we work for this. We work for 30, 40 years for this, just to earn the money so that we can retire for, for five years. Uh, that's all because of money. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, theoretically, if we all decided we were just going to, everyone gets a house, everyone can have like two or three kids, we're gonna distribute the food so that every, no, no one ever starves again. And guess what? You never have to go to work. You know, we're just gonna, you know, give everybody, um, you know, a chore, go do your chore. Okay, and now we can all live. And the rest of the time you do whatever you want. You know, that's potentially a system. We don't use it, but that's potentially a system. We, we allow ourselves to, in many ways, become enslaved to these, these concepts. And I don't think a lot of people think that we can change them. They think it's the way it is. We need to be more open than that. So when you come to the New Deal, when you watch these videos, when you listen to the podcast, I want you to do so through the lens of the fact that we can change anything. We can change money, we can trade our we, we can change our politics, we can we can change our ideology, we can change the boundaries of states and countries. Everything we uh, most of what we have in this world is arbitrarily decided by some peoples at some point in history and we can make it all better if it serves us. And that's where I'm coming from. When I say the New Deal's compassionate politics, this is what I mean. Nothing is off the table because we're humans and we created it. And if we created it, we can change it. And I think we need to start thinking that way. So this new deal, new minute is uh, more than a minute. It's probably half a podcast, but I think it's an important thing to pay attention to. If you like what you hear, please subscribe below. If you are listening, uh, please rate rate the new deal. I would appreciate any rating, uh, any comments, anything I can do better. Please let me know. I just want to make sure that I'm conveying this information the best way possible to you guys. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you for listening. And please check in later this week for our new new deal, new minutes uh, for some related content to this that will build all, off this. Uh, everybody have a great day or evening or morning whenever you're listening to this. And I'll catch you soon.